Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers. Sunday Sermon. This is for us. I'm David Johnson. Let's get started with Darren and Matt. How are you, gentlemen? Merry Christmas, sir. Happy Hanukkah to you, too. Sorry, I, uh, I'm not allowed to say that. Sorry. Happy holidays. I, I, I'm sorry. I've got the script. No, 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 no. It's okay. Uh, actually, your your line was happy Ramadan, but um, it, it's okay. <laughs> it just tells us how this show is going to go. Uh, read read the secret notes, people. There are no secret notes. Um, speaking of Hanukkah, uh, during uh, Christmas time at work, uh, we were basically let off of work on Thursday, even though we had to show up. Uh, but we showed up and basically did nothing. And that was most of the first half of the day. And then they took us out and wined and dined us and then sent us home. Um, and so that was nice. And then we were off that we were paid for that day. We were off Friday, we were off Monday, and we were off Tuesday. But during that Thursday, that first part of work that, um, you know, that I was there, I played Hanukkah music loudly. I got some looks. <laughs> everyone, was, everyone was playing Christmas music. <laughs> and uh, I bet you didn't know there was Hanukkah music. There is Hanukkah music. <laughs> Did you play it on a harmonica? Uh, no, 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 no. I, I just played it over... Um, on my on my computer, I bring my personal computer to work for, you know, my personal stuff because that's allowed to. Don't ask. Like I work for the state, man. Um, so um, yeah, it was that was fun. Uh, but I've I've taken to uh, calling it in my head and on the um, forum as Happy Baby God Day because that's really funny to me. But I assure you, I live in Jackson, Mississippi. I'm not stupid enough to say that out loud. <laughs> so um, that said, we are going to talk about something that I will be saying out loud. We're going to be talking about uh, Ken Ham and some of his thoughts and why I think it's important. I actually think that Ken Ham is an important figure in Christendom. And so that already puts me on the wrong side of <laughs> pretty much everyone. I have said over the years, several times, although because it is not what you expect, people have probably just pretended like they didn't hear me say it and cast it out of their mind. But I'm going to say it again. I like Ken Ham. Furthermore, I don't think Ken Ham is an idiot. I think I, it, <laughs> furthermore, I think he's right. Um, I, I almost 100% agree <laughs> with everything that Ken Ham has to say. <laughs> now, look, I, let me tell you what I'm not saying. Okay. I, I didn't hit my head this Christmas. Um, I am not saying that I'm a young earther or anything like that. What I am saying is that I believe his way of reading the Bible is most correct. I, I actually agree with his way of reading the Bible. I have tried to read the Bible differently uh, with other lenses 
in in view. I've tried to read it academically, uh, the way Christian academics uh, read it. I've tried to read it literarily, um, and you know, there's you know that that can be challenging, uh, but that that seems like one possible right way to read it. But I think that if you're going to accept the Bible as a religious text, it demands to be read a certain way. And I actually think that Ken Ham reads it correctly. And I further agree with um, the consequences of that. If Ken Ham is right, then he's right about a lot of the dire consequences that he talks about. Um, so I just wanted I just want to talk about this. I did invite Christians to the show. Uh, they did not come. Uh, it's possible that they could show up during the show. Uh, but I wanted to have a conversation uh, about this. I have a feeling that this will be the topic of conversation on the board for a while. You know the board, skeptics and seekers. Dot squarespace.com log in your discuss account discuss away you can email me i do enjoy uh correspondence with the uh, listeners that is skeptics and seekers at gmail.com and i just have to say if you want me to mention you by name when you email me say in the email that it's okay otherwise i'm simply not going to do it i've run into trouble so many times uh by calling people by name and then I found out later oh they didn't they didn't want to be called out by name I lost a guest uh that way actually once so I'm just I'm just not gonna do it say in the email and please keep sending your show suggestions I, I love them even if I don't use them I enjoy researching them we can have a good conversation about it okay uh, this, we're going to do uh, pretty much a half a show. I mean, it's a full show, but we're going to get through about half the material and uh, we'll work out a part two, maybe some different characters for part two. Uh, but I'm not going to try to cram this all in one show, which is why I feel as confident as I uh, feel in taking some time to introduce all of this. So before starting with the first video, first video, yes, two videos, the panel did not know there would be a, a second video. <laughs> this was sprung on them, so don't blame them if they were unprepared. I want to uh, turn to the panel and ask if you had any particular overarching uh, observations or introductory thoughts uh, regarding the video that you did uh, watch. I'm going to start with you, Darren, because Matt hates going first. <clears throat> I didn't actually watch the video. I wasn't actually able to get more than about five minutes into it. Um, although I have to admit, Ken, Ken Ham is one of my favorite apologists. Um, I tend to agree with you. I think his reading of the Bible is probably the one the first century Christians most likely had and it's just easily testable he hasn't quite gotten to hit the realm of apologetics where he has to sort of push god back so that god is the mystery that we don't know about like a lot of modern apologists have yeah um a good observation by the way i i agree with it entirely i do i do think that if you were able to pull 
Christians of the first century. Uh, and, you know, they were to, uh, you know, you put Ken Ham in front of them and say William Lane Craig in front of them. And uh, let's throw in uh, Mike Lacona uh, in that. Uh, they would identify with Ken Ham and they wouldn't know what the other guys were talking about. Um, and I think that's true even before the first century. If you go back to the earliest Jews, because these are Jewish, early Jewish writings. I think they would recognize Ken Ham. I don't think they would recognize the other guys at all. Um, Matt, did you have any uh, opening observations? I'm more or less on the same page as you two, possibly a little more nuanced. I certainly accept uh, that young earth creationism, as Ken Ham describes it and promotes, is the least complex and most honest interpretation of the English translation of the Bible that we've got. But I think the the truth is more nuance is required. We need to be able to accept some of the passageways are passages rather are a little bit polemic. Some are written as fiction and have been interpreted as non-fiction. And I think there's nuance there that is completely ignored by by the pure yek position. I'm 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 sorry, uh, Matt. I there's no rebuttal in the opening statements any more than the closing statements. But I've got to I got to push back a little bit. Uh, there was no such thing as fiction in in uh, the early times. Don't you know? I mean, you were on uh, on a debate and unbelievable, and you had your ass handed to you when the uh, your opponent said, "But they didn't have fiction at the time." I'm surprised that you would make such a gaffe on this show. Yeah, yeah, you know better than that. That was utter <laughs> bullshit, really. You're trying to bait me right on from the very beginning, aren't you? Even the Christians said that that guy did the poor activity. Good God, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Here we go. Many popular you trying to wind me believe up? in an old universe. And according to God's word, they're wrong. So today, we're going to watch some clips of Christians defending an old universe and give an analysis of the claims they make. So let's start with a song. Genesis Earth and heaven in a cosmic kiss Evolution must have been like this Evolution must have been like this where they get the idea of evolution from? Okay, so to be clear, in case is they're he trying to be funny or he is not. whimsical or sar yeah. sarcastic, he's... Mm -mm. this is I I um, this is one of the reasons I wanted to stop at this point because if there are people out there who don't know uh, Ken Ham uh, as well as I do, I've been following Ken Ham for a long time. He's been he's been out there for a very long time. Uh, but if you have not been following Ken Ham, or if you've just written him off as a crackpot and you don't understand uh, what he's talking about, maybe when he uses a certain uh, language, I just want to clarify, um, he's not saying um, macroevolution is wrong. He's saying evolution in any form is wrong. There is no such thing as evolution and any any scientific processes that you might put under the rubric of ev evolution he would never call uh evolution 
he is about as hard against evolution as you can get uh, to the extreme with zero exceptions. That is Ken Ham. But once again, uh, I think that Ken Ham is just being painfully honest. He's not being simple. He's not a simple person. He's not stupid. Uh, he, he knows his material. So you're uh, so you lean toward Tanlon's razor rather than dishonesty. Yes. <laughs> yes. He's not being dishonest. Ken Ham, uh, I, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything from Ken Ham video or writing or what have you that I thought was remotely uh, being dishonest or dodging anything. No, he, he believes this. Uh, he does. He says it straight out and he says what he believes and he doesn't hold back and he doesn't even flinch when some of the awful consequences of the things that he's saying become apparent, he embraces a whole lot. He's not from the John Lennox school of uh, apologetics where he twists and turns and dodges at every corner possible. Right. No, he's, his, his, he's perfectly His income with... is also tied to that particular belief. He sells a lot of creationist materials. Yeah, and he and he boasts about that. But that said, he was he was saying this stuff before he was big. The, so he, his sales didn't influence his opinions. His opinions influenced his sales. Um, so I, I'm going to stand by Kinham on this and say he is, he is entirely authentic. So uh, do here. you think uh, there's no room for dishonesty at all? Because when he asks, where does the idea of evolution come from when he's been in a decade's worth of debates where people are telling him where evolution is coming from you don't think there's any sort of wiggle room in there for any sort of dishonesty or is he like 100 in your mind he's 100 yeah he's, he's I, a real deal i agree i think he genuinely believes that the science that has uncovered all these truths about evolution and all the related fields he genuinely believes that all those people are are either lying themselves or have been um what's what i'm looking for led astray for lack of a better description of have been confused right and i it i just as a, an example uh, william lane craig i like william lane craig as well i think he's a good teacher i think he's a very good teacher i i would love uh being in one of his classes about something he's he um i i have have been on record as saying this too i think he's wrong in almost every uh one of his utterances but i think he's a very good teacher but that said william lane craig on some subjects has in the past been a bit cagey, if you will. Uh, and I think that he's he's a lot better than a lot of the apologists out, out there. But there have been some times where, you know, uh, difficult issues come up and he's maybe hedged a bit or not gone all the way. Ken Ham, there's no cagey in Ken Ham. He's, he's all the way there. And he, he doesn't dodge anything. And so whatever criticisms you might have about Ken Ham, uh, I don't. I don't think that that's going to be a legitimate one. He's he's got a very very long track record of this. Uh, you two are much less cynical than I am. Then, <laughs> well, yeah. uh, that's why you're on the show, uh, Darren. They didn't get it from the Bible. Think about that. They got it from outside the Bible, and they're imposing it on the Bible, and singing a song about. It. You know, I can't believe that Francis Collins 
who was uh, head of one of the human genome projects that really involved observational science, which is good science. He's okay. This is the other place I wanted to stop. I'll let it go for a long period of time, unless either one of you wants to interrupt here. Uh, he uses the term observational science, which is something that you may not recognize. Uh, this is not something, as far as I know, that scientists actually say. And so you may not know what he means. Uh, he believes that there are two types of science, and he only recognizes the validity of one of them. So one is observational science, and the other is, I believe he calls it historical science. Uh, and the difference he makes uh, between these two fields, uh, air quotes, um, observational science is the stuff that you can see right now. It's the stuff in front of you that you can test and experiment uh, with. And, uh, you know, there, there are no theories about it. It, it is basically physics, um, as, as we would understand physics. Uh, however, uh, historical science, uh, and that is a term that in other places he would use very derisively. It's science uh, that tries to figure out what happened uh, when there was no one to observe it. So um, age of the earth it would be historical uh, science. Um, the, uh, the great flood uh, would be historical science. Um, things like that. And so, um, is, is he wrong about this? Of course he's wrong about this, but you, I, I just wanted to kind of explain that terminology and how he thinks about it in his head, because I think that's going to be important. He doesn't go over that distinction in either one of these two videos, but if you're going to understand Ken Ham, you have to understand, uh, that part about him. A good scientist like that would then take a belief like evolution and add it to the Bible. And then N.T. Wright, a theologian from the UK, sadly, most theologians compromise God's word when it comes to Genesis. And he's no different than the majority. So I believe in Genesis. They're singing, I believe in Genesis. The thing is, they don't believe in Genesis. They so are taking question. ideas outside. Okay. If, does Ken Ham, do you know if Ken Ham I mean, there's two versions of the creation myth in Genesis. Mm -hmm. Does he like just, because I heard one creationist say that humans were created twice because of the two different versions of creation in Genesis. Does, does he take that route or does he no. sort of try to harmonize it? In which case he's not, he's changing the word of God in the Bible or how does he handle that? Yeah, he would harmonize it, although he wouldn't call it harmonizing. He doesn't see it as two different uh, accounts at all. So, um, that yeah, would be I think the, the general position that's taken is the second telling is just a re a retrospective reconfirming that it was created by God rather than a separate event. Even though it has the everything's different in both of them in how things were created. Yes. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, that's not and, a problem for them. And you still think that he's being a hundred percent honest? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I can, I can tell you, I, uh, I grew up, uh, I grew up with these exact beliefs. Mm. And so this is one of the reasons I can, I can talk about it with the confidence that I do. Uh, in fact, I can say that when I was a kid, this is not necessarily a compliment to, 
Ginham or to myself. <laughs> uh, but when I was a child Christian, I had all of the thoughts that you're going to hear Kim Ham talk about. Uh, I had all of those thoughts before I even heard of a Ken Ham. Um, I, I, this is what I thought independently that said, uh, most of the people in my denomination thought this way too. This is not some uh, thing that you can just easily dismiss. In fact, some would say, yeah, well, you grew up in a cult. You only call it a cult because I call it a cult. Okay, but uh, in Christendom, there's, they're just mainstream Christians who are a bit conservative, right? They're, they're very fundy. Uh, but let's be clear, Southern Baptists, many Southern Baptists, the largest uh, denomination in America, they also think this way, uh, or at least they have historically. Uh, there, you know, maybe some wiggle room now. I'm not sure, but yeah, you know, you don't get to get away, you uh, the listener, by saying, "Ah, oh, this is just some fringe, uh, whack whack job belief." No, it's not. No, it's not. It's well considered with a long and storied history. I also notice, changing. go ahead. Notice he also had a dig at theologians. Now, oh, this yeah. active study of the Bibles, dedicating years of your life to studying the Bible to understand its historical context, understanding the languages in which it was written, understanding the paths which translators take to get from the Greek to the English. The whole effort of learning all of that to get a better understanding of what the Bible is actually trying to say, all of that is wrong and compromise. So, I mean, the sheer arrogance of this prick to say something like that. I So, Eric, I, I don't want to defend. I don't want to be in the position. Go of for it. Do it. I'm going to force you into that corner. This is You're a, a translator. Yeah. As as Andrew and I might say when we're talking to each other, uh, you're defending uh, the cigarette companies, uh, but someone had to defend the cigarette companies. <laughs> you know, that's the law. I don't want to defend the cigarette companies here, um, but I I must say in Kitam defense, he's not anti uh, intellectual. He's not anti academic. Um, but he's anti all those theologians because most of them have yes. been compromised. Yes, he is anti-ivory tower theology which is not quite the same thing as being anti he didn't clarify that though he just said because most theologians are compromised he didn't clarify it in yes. any way at all yes no and i i i understand that i you know i used to think that way too and so i once again it's not it's not easy to square all these circles uh but um i wasn't anti-intellectual and I don't think he's intellectual either. In fact, he uh, he uh, does, in fact, praise uh, academia in, in other places. Uh, but when it comes to theology, he is against a certain kind of intellectual, the kind of intellectual that uses clever argumentation to twist the Bible into a pretzel to say things that it doesn't say, to uh, to satisfy... Uh, the needs of other intellectuals and or to fit well into the culture, that's a certain kind of intellectual pursuit that he is against. So what he would say about intellectuals, if he were here to say it, is they're working too hard uh, and they're working in the wrong way. The Bible is actually very clear. 
and it doesn't require all that you're putting into it. In fact, you have to put in a lot of extra work and theories of men and philosophies of men in order to twist the Bible into the kind of pretzels that we have twisted it today. I actually agree with him on that. (laughs) Even to this day, I agree with him on that. Uh, If you... If you read the Bible, I think in the most straight, in the way that the Bible kind of demands that you do, if you if you take the lead from the literature itself, you actually have to work really hard to come to the conclusions that some people have come to. And I had one more, more question real quick, and I hate myself for having to ask this, but I can't just assume considering how many don't, Christians don't worry, I've Darren, across. Lots of people hate you. Um, anyway. <laughs> Does he believe that the Bible was originally written in English, or does he recognize that it was in a different language first? Uh, the question is moot, uh, because uh, it whatever whatever the original language was, it was translated faithfully. So uh, God is in control of that translation process, and so he's not going to make a meal out of you know Greek versus Hebrew versus Chaldean versus English. That's, okay, that's, so he, that's so he assumes issue. that the translators were actually competent at their job and isn't trying to play word games with what this Greek word meant or whatever. No, it's it's worse than that. He believes that God was had a hand in the translations. So it doesn't matter whether the translations were competent or not. They could have been idiots, but God was the one overseeing the process. Cool. All right. Genesis. So they're not singing the truth there. They certainly don't believe in Genesis. He made it all 14 billion years ago. Where'd they get that from? You know, they're not that old. I mean, the only way you would know how old the universe is is if you were there to see it start. And there's only one, how old is Ken Ham? How old is Ken Ham? And if he <laughs> wasn't there to see the Bible written, does that so, mean that? I, I'm, ju- I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to take the right of the person who has the finger on the button, and I'm going to rewind it and let him finish his sentence. Because you can't stop him there. He's explaining it. It's going to hurt. I can if you see were there it to see it start. And there's only one who was there to see it start. It's the one who created it. And that is God. And okay, that's that's enough of his thought. You see, you weren't there. You don't know how old the earth is. Only one person was there, and that was God. And God told us about it in Genesis. That's the loop. That's that closes the loop. Right. Yeah, but who was there when God passed that information on to somebody else to get written down? I don't. I, I don't think that you are inside the loop. Uh, once again. <sighs> Uh, you can't know how old the earth was unless you were there, and there was only one person who was there, and that was God, and he gave it to us in Genesis. Yeah, and if you read it right, it says 14 billion years no, ago. No, 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 no. You're not, you're not in the loop. All right? So I'm, I've gone over this twice with you. Oh, somebody's don't, loop is a screw short, that's for certain. Don't make me rewind this, okay? So... Uh, but no, this is uh, this is uh, goes back to what I was talking about: uh, observational science and historic historical science. This would be in the area of historical science for him, and that is something that, as far as Ken Helm is concerned, 
is impossible to investigate. And so the only way to know it is for someone to have observed it. And someone did observe it, which is God, and they told us about it in Genesis. That is, that is literally how he closed the loop on most of science. He recorded then, for us in his word that he made everything in six days and they're ordinary days. The Hebrew word yom qualified with evening, morning, number means an ordinary day. And we know Adam was made on day six and he died when he was 930 years old. And it tells us when people had children and when they died and when they were born and so on. And you can add up all those dates in the Bible. You get about 6,000. You don't get 14 billion. You didn't get that from the Bible. This is what we need to make sure people understand. They did. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with him. <laughs> so uh, before anyone accuses me of being a simpleton and anti-intellectual, someone who has not read or uh, interacted with the uh, scholarship, I have, um, I promise. And I still think Ken Ham is right here. Um, I think that this is how the literature demands that it be read. Uh, at least, I would say, the translators thought that way. That's that's what they thought it meant. Uh, because there, there were many, many options that translators could have taken if they thought it meant something else. Many options. And yet, pretty much zero of the classic translators took those options. They they all read it this way. And you have to ask yourself why. Were, were all of the translators idiots? No, I don't think they were all idiots. I think that they were translating it faithfully because this is how they understood it. This is how it demands to be read. And yes, we can go into theological reasons why it has to be a young earth. Uh, you can go back to the first season of... Uh, skeptics and seekers uh, with Dale. Dale and I, uh, I, I know that we did a show on this, at least one uh, full show on this. It, uh, you know, and I've, I've written about this. It honestly can't be any other way. Uh, it, it has to be a literal reading if the rest of Judaism is going to make sense, and especially if uh, certain parts of Christianity are going to make sense. And then what, what you have to do if you want to insert the millions of years uh, is you have to say, well, but the writer moves in and out of allegorical language. So one part of the sentence is allegorical, the next part of the sentence is literal. And uh, you have to do that throughout the entire Genesis story from Genesis 1 through 11. It simply makes no sense and it just becomes an ad hoc mess. Did, did anyone want to... Hey, come at me, bro. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I just can't get my head around one of the simple, simplest ways of checking this, where he talks about the genealogies. Go and check up and read the genealogies in the Bible. There's one genealogy, I can't remember which one it is now, where Noah, Noah's family, are missing from the genealogy. That simple fact in itself tells you that there are gaps and there, there are problems. You go and map those genealogies across the timeline of the Old Testament and who who begat who when you read through the stories, 
these things don't actually adequately line up. There are genuinely very clear and obvious gaps and breaks and inconsistencies in these genealogies compared with elsewhere in the Bible. There are problems there. And to completely ignore that and deny that and say the gump that you've just say shows that, yeah, he's being honest in the way that he's progressing it because he is telling what he believes. But what he believes is nonsense. And we can show that from the Bible. So without going into um, the defenses, I will just leave it at they know that and there are defenses for that. There are fairly straightforward defenses uh, for that. I, I might do a supplemental after all, uh, just, to, <laughs> just to go over some of the genealogy stuff. Because that was one of the objections that I had when I started thinking about this uh, a little bit deeper, is that, you know, the genealogies, that, that doesn't fit. <laughs> there's there's, there's some gaps, fit. there's some, uh, yeah, but actually, uh, that is, uh, I, you know, unless I turn this show into the defenses of all of the stupid stuff, uh, I can just tell you right now with the time we had folks this isn't even the video <laughs> this is the introduction to the video this is why this is going to be two shows um i can just tell you that um i appreciate where you're coming from there um and i have been there but i am i say confidently there are defenses uh for that in the so same he... way that just to be fair uh old earthers know the objections that I make. And there are defenses for that. Uh, so, I mean, I don't think that either side is being stupid here. So if, I mean, this is a very old debate as well. And so if you think that you've come up with a thing that the other side didn't see, ha ha, uh, you did not. <laughs> you really didn't. Um, but I do, I do appreciate it and I understand it. And I would just have to uh, say, uh, folks, if you haven't deep dived on this particular debate, which is one of my favorites in the Bible, because I agree with Ken Ham on the importance of it. Um, there are, there are answers to that uh, response, but it, it is a good question to ask. Uh, and it is a good place for a supplemental to happen. Stay tuned. It is. But before you before you carry on, though, there is something else that he hinted at here in this bit, and it's all part. It's all the foundation of his "Were you there?" Uh, approach uh, argument to evolution versus his his young Earth, and that is his pre presupposition, his presupposition of God exists. The Bible is literally true, and everything builds on top of that. He doesn't have a sufficiently good argument for the Bible being true. He just believes it. And everything that he says stems from that belief. And his, this this whole thing that he's just said about the whole were you there stems from that. He def absolutely takes the Bible as de facto true. God wrote it must be true. God said it, it must be true. Therefore, that's the line. And his were you there thing only applies to everything that is outside of that foundation. He doesn't self-apply it to his own foundation. Absolutely. So we're de we're definitely going to uh, get there. Um, that is that is absolutely correct. Uh, the, the presuppositions uh, are there, but I I, I just want to establish uh, Ken Ham is not crazy for thinking what he thinks, and he, it, he yeah, has, yes. there's not a <laughs> there's not a there's not a get, theologically theologically speaking theologically speaking, uh, and so um, there aren't gaps 
in the arguments that you might think. If there is a gap, you know, would love to find it and discuss it, but maybe it is worth doing a supplemental, once again, just to kind of cover some of those places where you where you think there might be gaps. Yeah, just out of curiosity, is he a 6,000 young earther or 10,000 yes. young earther? No, I've heard both. No, straight up, straight up 6,000. Six. Yeah. Okay. In fact, I think he was about to say it. Billion from the Bible. They got it from outside the Bible, from man's beliefs about the past, man who wasn't there. They're adding to scripture. They're forcing man's pagan religion to explain the universe without God into the Bible. They're undermining the authority of the word of God. Now let's watch a second clip by an apologist in America who's really well known in Christian circles, but sadly, well, he compromises God's word in Genesis like the majority of Christian leaders do. So let's watch the clip. Okay, and uh, we're not going to do the whole rest of this. Well, you can probably see on the screen. We'll get to maybe about uh, halfway through, and then I'll, I will stop this. But I, there are some important things to talk about here. And just for the audience, um, you see me looking at you now. You see me looking away when people are talking. I'm not being rude. My, my laptop is down here, <laughs> and so I'm trying to make eye contact, which is stupid, because there's no one, but eye contact for me is looking at their little icon on the screen, and then I really should just be, so I'm sorry, I'm never going to be good at that. <laughs> let's, let's hear William Lane Craig. How old is the world? Best estimates today are around 13.7 billion years or so. Now, this is good, you see. I, I, this is a position I can embrace because there are people who, who will sit here and say, no, it's six and a half thousand years old. Um, that, that is not a tenable position? I don't think it's plausible. Mm. Uh, the, the arguments that I give are right in line with mainstream science. Just uh, so, Matt. Yeah, they're not. Because you've seen this, though. Right, no, I, I'm not even going to touch that one. Um, he says, when he says, I don't think it's plausible. Uh, the questioner said, is, is that a tenable position? And he says, I don't think it's plausible. Is he leaving the door open a crack? What is he doing there? Uh, because it didn't I seem noticed like that when I watched this beforehand. And there, there's something a little bit slimy about uh, William Lane Craig's response to that question before he gives his own interpretation in his own, own answer and this is classic wlc this is what he does all the time he just hedges slightly away from saying the most offensive thing about other other christians and says something that's quite a bit softer just right. to allow a teeniest bit of a gap right it's weasley it's his uh, i mean you talk about his audience his his audience uh has a lot of biblical literalists, young earthers, Southern Baptist uh, types. Uh, he can't just come out and say, so I actually had this argument with Dale uh, in, in private. I don't think that he would mind me saying this uh, because he would just say that I was wrong. Uh, but I, I had this argument with him about we were Lane Craig uh, because we were uh, trying to determine what he believed about the Genesis story, uh, the literal creation story. Do you believe it was literal or not? And uh, he was pointing me to some of his uh, material, some of the classes that he had uh, done, and I was uh, watched uh, through some of those. And he seemed very um, 
I, I don't want to say soft because he, he definitely made a case where it was more likely than not that, you know, some of the story was allegorical, <laughs> but he was very careful in how he did it. And he was very careful not to uh, alienate uh, any of his audience. Someone who is even worse about uh, this though than Craig is Michael, Michael Brown. I think it's Michael, uh, Michael Brown. Um, I, uh, I, I find him to be very Weasley when it comes to that. Uh, so Craig is not the worst offender by far, but this is just a little bit of a taste of how he carefully walks through some things so as not to completely alienate uh, his audience. And yes, he's he's you can see the direction where he's going, but very careful. Yet on other things, he doesn't mind stomping through the tulips uh, and kicking over your sacred cows. Uh, yeah, because but, his audience agrees with him on that stuff anyway. I Actually, I agree with you that William Lane Craig is very Weasley. In this case, I don't think that's an example of that. I think he's actually being intellectually honest when he says, when he's like this. Because in his philosophy, his God can do magic. Mm -hmm. That means his God could have created the world five minutes ago with all the history and everything already in place and all our memories in place. And that's a legitimate possibility because his God does magic. Right. Well, and he has no limits to that. So he has to say that about his plausibility, what he believes to be true, because he cannot absolutely rule out that his God is deceiving him. But right. But that just means that he's leaving the door open for young earth to be right. Right. And I think that's the, and given his, I, given the idea that God can do magic, I think he has to do that. Yeah. Ken Ham, on the other hand, does not leave the door open. No. Uh, he, he blows up the door with C4. Um, there's, there's no door <laughs> for. And that for kind Ken of puzzles Hamm. me why Craig is so passive about the young earth creationist view, because they're not his, he's not their target audience. You know, they're not, he's not the person that they go to when they want intellectual prowess or a bit of intellectual feeding from the Bible. They go to the likes of Ham for their intellectual feeding. Because And Ken Ham is quite happy to tell them all day long that people like Craig are either not real Christians or they're highly compromised Christians. They're Christians of the earth, not Christians of heaven. So they're not going to be going to Craig for their intellectual stimuli. So Craig may as well stump all over their tulips as well, because they're really not listening to him. Yeah, yeah but I, I think it goes back again to he has to be, in his mind, he has to be intellectually honest. And because of his God does magic, yeah. being intellectually honest means leaving the door open to young earth creationism. Yeah, okay. you make a good point. Yeah, no, I... Um... I didn't expect you to come to the defense of uh, William Lane Craig, though. So uh, this is this is all messed up. Uh, I'm not it feels weird. Up against mainstream science <laughs> okay. and presenting these arguments. Rather, I'm going with the flow of what contemporary cosmology and astrophysics uh, supports. You know, William Lane See, that's Craig where he was lying. is a Christian leader, <laughs> and he impacts a lot of people, impacts a lot of young people. But you can see here from this video clip, he admits outright he's going with the flow 
of what he calls, you know, mainstream science says about the age of the universe. In other words, he's taking what the majority of scientists, secular scientists are saying, billions of years, and saying that's fact, and then going to the Bible. Okay, so what he's doing is going with scientific consensus, Ken Ham, um, and that's, that is okay. That is a good thing. I uh, also tend to punt to scientific consensus unless I have a very, very, very good reason to go against it uh, because I'm not a scientist. Right, so that that doesn't mean that they can't be wrong. Uh, and there are always, uh, you know, minority reports, and and they could be right. Uh, but Ken Ham here seems to not understand the legitimacy. Well, he knows what scientist uh, scientific consensus is. He doesn't recognize the legitimacy of scientific consensus. But I would say that uh, Darren is also right here in that. Uh, William Lane Craig is very selective. He goes with scientific consensus when it agrees with something that he agrees with. And then he yeah, goes against it, you know, and vehemently. He, and he equivocates, it, which in, and intentionally confuses the uh, the whole landscape um, so that he can make his point without technically lying, even though he's intentionally smokescreened everyone into believing something he didn't actually say. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with that. <laughs> so, I, uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move on. That was, that was, you know, and I'm gonna move on because you agree with me. Actually, do you realize <laughs> what he's really doing? He's taking man's word literally, and God's word allegorically. He should be judging man's word with God's word, and when you do that, you find out that man's word is wrong. And you know, just because the majority believe something doesn't mean it was right. I had someone once who said to me, but the majority couldn't be so wrong about the age of the universe, could they? I said, well, the majority of scientists didn't survive the flood either. Remember that. <laughs> just because the majority say something doesn't mean it's right. Sadly, you know, this is why I really love Ken Ham. <laughs> he actually makes testable claims. You know, he hasn't he hasn't come into modernity and uh, realized that all the claims that the Bible makes are testably wrong, and so he has to push God into this uh, realm of figurative speech and mystery and everything. He's like, oh no, the flood happened. It doesn't matter that all the evident physical evidence that exists says it didn't. It happened because this book that was written two thousand years ago by illiterate a Bronze Age sheep herder says so. Yeah. So, I want to I want to close out this video in just a just a minute. Uh, he's he's about to get to the last thing that I want to hear from this one. But how can you not love Ken Ham? Lane Craig is undermining the authority of Scripture, and he's leading generations astray by imposing man's pagan religion on the Bible. There, uh, that's that's really the thing that I want to be in your mind as we. Uh, look at Ken Ham and what he has to say. Um, this is very important. It's important for Christians to wrestle with, and it's probably important for skeptics to wrestle with if we are going to wrestle with Christians. Uh, Ken Ham says, and again, this is how I thought when I was a Christian, by and large, as well. Uh, if you are going to jettison uh, the 
literalness of the Genesis story. And and let's just say for a moment that you're doing it dishonestly, okay? Uh, not making an honest mistake. You want to be, you know, in agreement with the rest of the world and how they view things. And so you decide to harmonize the Bible with science as opposed to trying to harmonize science with the Bible. And I, that would qualify as viewing it dishonestly from um, Ken Ham's perspective. Um, you are undermining the authority of Scripture. We can talk about essential issues versus non-essential issues, but I don't think it can get more essential of an issue than if you are undermining the authority of Scripture. Because if you don't have Scripture, you don't have anything. If you're saying that the Bible is not the Word of God or that it's something that you can just uh, change in places where it's embarrassing, uh, you know, I, I think you got nothing at that point. You've, you may or may not believe in God. I don't, I'm not sure how you could call yourself a Christian or even a Jew. If you undermine the authority of, of the sacred book, and I absolutely believe that if you say, well, you know, the book, you know, it, we can we can kind of play these literary games with this part to take away the embarrassing pieces. I think it does undermine the, the authority. And what Ken Ham says of people who do that is you're leading people astray. I, what Ken Ham stops short of saying, and this is something that I've, I don't think I've ever heard him say. And I, I, uh, you know, if the two of you have, uh, you know, are, are ham followers for any period of time, um, maybe you can clarify for me, does he believe that William Lane Craig and scholars who think this way, people who believe in evolution, uh, and who throw out the Genesis story, does Ken Ham believe they are saved Christians? I think he accepts that because what I have heard him say previously is that evolution stroke creationism is not a salvation determining issue. You right. Can be wrong, but, I, but you but, can still be saved. Yeah, but that's that's one of those weaselly things that Christians say. Uh, and the reason it's weaselly is because I think what Ken Ham could say, this is where there's room, and this is definitely what I would have said when I was a young Christian, uh, is no, uh, believing in creation, uh, you know, young earth creation is not a salvation issue. Believing that the Bible is a word of God is a salvation issue. And, if, if, and so the problem isn't your wrong belief about something. The problem is you not... Uh, uh, honoring the authority of the Bible in in the first place. And so the reason you're wrong about this is because you're not honoring the authority of the Bible. And therefore you are uh, not a not a Christian. That's that's how you get around it. It's it's the same way uh, where Christians, and I know that you've had uh, this conversation or seen it on the board, uh, interacted with uh, Christians who have said, no one gets no one goes to hell uh, for unbelief. Uh, they go to hell because they are not, uh, un they're not, they did not accept the uh, saving work of Jesus on the cross. You know, that's, a, that's an equivocation. 
Uh, no one goes to hell because they murdered somebody. No one goes to hell because they had sex with a prostitute. No one goes to hell. And all of that's true from that theological perspective. You go to hell because you didn't uh, accept the saving work of Jesus on the cross. And how do we know that you didn't? How do we know that you didn't honestly? Because you didn't have the kind of changed life that would have um, represented someone who had truly believed in Jesus' safe work on the cross. So it's a, it's a weasel word kind of thing, I think. And so, yeah, I think it, th there's plenty of room for Ken Ham to say, yeah, that's not a salvific issue. But for him, the salvish, salvific issue is you're rejecting the Bible. Hmm. So I, I don't know. I don't you see if he didn't believe that. And we'll, you know, we would get through about half of this next video and we're actually doing okay on time. Uh, if we, if he didn't believe that he wouldn't be so bent out of shape about these academics leading people astray because astray to what, what's the consequences of believing the wrong thing? about evolution is he an eternal torture guy oh yeah <laughs> yeah you're gonna burn uh no yeah. there's but that's this is what i'm talking about though if he wouldn't even need to make this video right if if he thought that it wasn't a big deal to be wrong about it of course it's a big deal to be wrong about it um and so you look uh definitely people write in comment um I'm curious. This is something I, I genuinely don't know. I'm not just uh, asking this for, uh, you know, the sake of you know, prolonging a show that's going to be uh, kind of long. Um, and I and I also want to know this from you, from your opinions. Um, you know, do you do you recognize what I'm saying that a person could, you know, that it may not be an essential issue um, that, you know, you have committed certain a certain sin, but it's a central issue that you didn't accept the saving work of Jesus. Um, and so you still die from your sin. Uh, and in the same way, uh, Ken Ham, I just don't believe that he thinks that people who think this way are Christians. Otherwise, he wouldn't be so upset and so worried about uh, undermining authority, the authority of Scripture and being led astray. It, it just it doesn't make any sense. I think this will be where I'm going to have to give ground to Darren's comment to right at the top of the show about maybe Ken Ham is being less than honest and having less integrity than we're granting him. And I think this is an area that if he does believe it, he does very much stop short of actually saying it. Okay, well, Darren seems to be winning, uh, and so okay. we're going to cut this. Before you move on to this, before you move on to the second video, though, in that four minutes, four and a bit minutes that we listened to the previous video, mm -hmm. twice he said it, and none of us addressed it. So I'd like to draw attention to it. He, when talking about science and evolution, he talked about their pagan religion, and this is <laughs> drip feeding of polemic, you know, anti-personal polemic about other people he's effectively othering people like us using language like that he drip feeds hate that his kind of christian will have towards us which poisons any chance of a good conversation we can have later and the reason why i'm drawing attention to it is that kind of language comes out in the feature length video that you're about to subject us to absolutely but i would also say that that more feeds into my point um 
which is he doesn't believe these people are saved. He, he believes yeah. that they are the prophets of a pagan religion. Yeah, and if he's a, an eternal torture guy and he believes all that demon stuff, then I would imagine that in his mind it's a war. Why should he care about having a conversation? Yeah. No, Great they, episode well, on hell coming up on Still Unbelievable in the middle of January. So stay tuned for that. Look, I, I at least want some cheap seats. Um, no, I want to be on that show, damn it. Evolution of millions of years is part of the pagan religion of the age to explain life and the universe by natural processes, that is, without God. And yet so many of our pastors and Christian academics in the majority of our Christian colleges and seminaries have adopted that to one degree or another into Genesis. They've been Greekized. Yeah, he you know, when you're like dealing with guys, any issue, no. we have to start from Genesis 1 to 11. Because yeah, it's not just that he doesn't like them. He doesn't think they're in the same religion. He, he really doesn't. Uh, if you just listen to him speak, um, he thinks of William Lane Craig in the same way that he thinks of me. Um, we're, we're both Greekized. From his, but he's he's going to explain. This is this is nut job. Uh, this gets a little, this gets a little cookie. Although I like it, I do like this formulation a lot. We're not going to get through. We might get through uh, a third uh, of this one, and then part you two will pagan be the rest. Greek of you bringing me <laughs> but, onto this, yeah. but it's. I think that foundation is very very important, and um, I I think this because I really really uh, with this show want to get you. Uh, social consequences uh, of this, of which there are many. Here we go. Genesis 1 to 11 is the foundation for everything. And so when you deal with evangelism, we also, I'm going to suggest to us, should be starting with Genesis 1 to 11. After all, that's how the Bible is written. <laughs> and God Okay, so you agree. Um, yeah, because that's going to be what pushes most people away from his christianity okay <laughs> okay you're you're agreeing um uh what is what do they call maliciously this is this is malicious agreement on your part um i think the maybe the worst part of his statement is that you start with the first part um genesis is not the first part <laughs> it wasn't chronologically speaking it wasn't the oldest book so uh, one of the things that Ken Ham doesn't seem to realize, and I don't know if he doesn't realize it or he just doesn't care, um, the Bible as it's presented, uh, you know, most commonly, is not in chronological written order. The order of the ordering of the Bible is an editorial decision. It's an edit. <laughs> uh, if you if you have a certain uh, facts and events that that come up, and then you rearrange them to tell a story that you want. You may not have changed any of the words, but you changed the story by rearranging the events. It's it's an edit. It's an editorial decision, and in the same way, uh, I think that many people are misled. Um, by some, maybe intentionally, I don't think that Ken Ham is being intentional here, but it's worth mentioning, the Bible is not in chronological order, and Genesis is no longer the first, and no more the first 
uh, book the, of of ancient Hebrew writing that we have in the compilation of scripture. Uh, most say it would be Job, actually. Um, possibly even some of the Psalms, uh, very old. Um, it's no more the first part of the Bible any more than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the first part of the New Testament. They are not. And so, you know, if, you, if you're going through this, this illusion that God ordered it this way for a reason, there, your theology is just wrong. Because the facts uh, are pretty uh, conclusive uh, about this point. What we're looking at in our Bible is an editorial statement, and that is what Ken Ham is pointing to mistakenly. Uh, I, will, I will just say, I'll say that he's not lying, <laughs> mistakenly believing that somehow this is the quote-unquote original order. Well, well I don't think up. he was saying it was the original order. I think he was just saying it's the first chronologically. You can't get much before telling the story than, you know, God creates. Uh, okay, but you can. <laughs> um, I'm not I talking did... chronologically when it was written. I'm talking no, 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 chronologically I'm not in the story. Yeah, I'm not. So chronologically in the story. So God creates heaven and earth and, uh, you know, people, the magic fruit, uh, they sin. Uh, Cain and Abel. Cain gets sent away. Except, hang on, there's a community of people. Uh, there's cities <laughs> that actually exist um, that didn't come from Adam and Eve. They're whole cities. And so it is theorized by many Christians that before you get to any of the Adam and Eve stuff, there's actually a whole other untold story about the first creation and the people that were populated. And then Adam and Eve, they come in later, they're in the garden, they get kicked out to an earth that is already in progress. So right, even, I'm even that's the, not even, Ken and Ham's not one of those Christians though, right? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Uh, a lot of people haven't thought about their theology uh, enough to even ask the question, where did those cities come from? <laughs> yeah, but, I, I definitely can tell you Ken Ham hasn't. If he's starting with whatever the Bible says is true, he hasn't thought about it. Right. And all, no, I'm, pointing, he has. all I'm pointing out is even theologically, even if you say, no, they, we're just talking about the historical events, so it's chronological that way. It's not chronological that way either. Um, and so, you know, you can, we can try that, <laughs> but that would make uh, other parts of the story nonsensical. If, if it was really chronological. And the same thing is true uh, with the New Testament ordering as well. This is not a, a telling of an ordering even of events. That sounds like man thinking, not God thinking to me. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm gonna hit this button and figure out how to mute your mic there, uh, Darren. It's the beginning <laughs> for a very important reason. And some of you may have already read this and some may have already heard me speak a little bit on this. But I want to particularly talk today about uh, a book called Gospel Reset that deals with how do you evangelize a culture that has changed foundation. And it really follows on from my book, Divided Nation, Cultures and Chaos in a Conflicted Church, which sets up the scene for what's happening in the culture, what's happening in the church. And so to start with, I want to introduce some terms to you that probably aren't in your dictionaries, but you need to add them to your dictionaries.
Number one is this, Greekizing. And the number two term is Greekized. And the number three term is degreekizing. <laughs> so make sure you learn those terms. And I want to start off with this verse of scripture. The men of Issachar who had understanding of the times. We need to have understanding of the times we live in. And in understanding our times, we realize in the church we have a problem. There's a generational loss from the church. We're down to less than 9% Generation Z. We started with 70-80% of the total population back in the 1700s. We're also seeing moral relativism permeate the culture. We're seeing generational change catastrophically in ways we haven't seen before. And I believe as we look at that generational change, we should be looking at how do we reach generations today? You know, the Bible hasn't changed, the gospel hasn't changed, God's word doesn't change, but the culture does, and we need to be prepared to change in the right way our methods to be able to reach them with the most important message in the universe. I, a lot of times people do change, but I think they change in the wrong way. And so we need to look at how should we change. I've I want to go back question. to 1950. Okay. Um, how, I haven't actually seen this yet, but I'm just sort of curious. If you guys hadn't watched this yet, how much would you ex be expecting that his solution for the church changing would in any way include demonstrating that what they're claiming is actually true? Because I think it's going to be 0%. Uh, yeah, I have seen this uh, two or three times myself. That is not on the agenda, sir. Okay. All right. No, it goes all the way back to my presupposition thing before. You know, the, yes. The Bible is the word of God, therefore it's true because it was written by God. But he's what he is going to start talking about, and again, it's one of the big reasons why I wanted to do this video, uh, is our, our social consequences of, of the belief. Uh, and he may not put it that way. Uh, but but you'll see. So let's uh, let's see if we can get through. Uh, can you see? Uh, oops. Can you see on my screen um, where where my cursor is? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if we can get to even this part right here, okay, it would be, it would probably be a good uh, stopping point there. So that's kind of my target. Nine. Yeah, that so was your I was a little boy, tiny, little, tiny, tiny, tiny little boy. And a very famous evangelist came to Australia, and regardless of differences in theology or whatever, this is a fact of history. And he was known as the Bible says man, because he would say the Bible says, the Bible says. And he ran these massive crusades uh, in uh, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne. And it's been crusades. said by many in Australia that it's the closest yeah. Australia ever came to revival. It is true that there were thousands, tens of thousands, yeah, Darren, uh, by Crusades, they're not talking about the Crusades. Uh, I'm talking about <laughs> horses and uh, long spears. It's, no. Uh, but it it, is yeah, no, very I got much that. a word, I, it's very I much a that. word that just, Christians uh, have adopted. Yeah, as, but it's, it's important to say because there are uh, some people who, like Darren, didn't grow up religious. And this is one of those religious terms. It's, it just has to do with, you know, an evangelistic push uh, in a certain way place to bring Christianity about, which, by the way, 
uh, is very fitting for crusades. So people think about it. flocked to those crusades, and there were many who actually did commit their lives to the Lord. It certainly had a dramatic effect on Australia. But we don't see those sorts of crusades happening today. I mean, they have in the past. We, we don't see that in the Western world. It's interesting that when Billy Graham passed away in 2018, Yahoo News said this, there'll never be another Billy Graham because the world that made him possible is gone. It's interesting how the secular world is able to say, there's a massive change that's occurred. And then I remember Tucker Carlson when he was on Fox mm -hmm. News. Mm -hmm. I was intrigued by, he's going to say it again about somebody else, but I was intrigued by his use of the word secular here and picking up that particular Yahoo News article mm -hmm. and saying the secular world recognises this fact. I actually went and looked up the person who wrote that Yahoo News article that he's talking about and that he's referencing in that screenshot that you've just shown up. And according to that guy's social media feed, he appears to be a Christian. I am pretty sure the person who wrote that article that he's having a big beef about, about even the secular world recognises this, is actually a Christian saying something about the church. Okay. Well, does you Ken were... Ham recognise him as a Christian? Well, he may be the wrong kind of Christian. <laughs> so, I mean, you don't know. <laughs> You, know, you don't know that guy's views on the young earth. He said, Billy Graham basically just preached the Bible in the America of the time. That was enough. People stopped him on the street to shake his hand. We live in a different country now. Isn't it interesting that in the secular world, they understand Again, something has Secular, great... and he's quoting Tucker fucking Carlson, one of the worst right. Christians you could possibly wish to meet. Right, so I got that too. <laughs> the, the secular world, I mean, because he's on Fox News, which is also a right-wing Christian <laughs> uh, under underpinnings there. So I, I agree with you um, that his use of secular is suspect. I think if if I had to guess, I think by secular he just means not inside of a church context. Yeah. Um, you know, out in the real world is, is you know, if I were to translate him a little bit, yeah. in the real yeah. world, they even recognize this. Yeah. And yeah. I think this is something, though, that people who are watching this, who are anything other than extreme fundy Christians, they need to understand that some of the words that Ken Ham is using here, you know, like crusader, like secular, like pagan, he's using it in a specific extreme Christian dog whistle context, which is not the same context and meaning that you would take if you're using these words with your friends down the pub. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, secular isn't just, and this is true, I, I see this in, in uh, context with discussions on the board to, to this day. Uh, secular, uh, we, we all know uh, that secular means non-religious. I mean, it's, it's very generic in that sense. Uh, the opposite of secular is religious. So the opposite of religious is uh, secular, you know, secular, non-secular. Um, but for the Christian, it means more than that. It's, it's more than that. It's, there's, a, there's a kind of a malice, a, a special kind of evil almost in the word secular. So uh, when I was in the church, uh, we didn't use secular when I was growing up so much. We used worldly, worldly. Uh, oh, those people are worldly. Uh, and really, we meant it the same way that people mean secular today, which is 
you know, they're behaving in a way that does not give God uh, the honor or glory. And so whatever they're doing, you know, they're, they're, they're listening to worldly music. Uh, you know, they're dancing in a worldly uh, fashion. They're wearing worldly clothes. You know, that, that would be uh, the kind of thing. And so, yes, uh, it, it is a good call that there is more to be read into these terms than just their dictionary definition. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm sort of curious. To... Uh-huh, go ahead. Um, he, re- he recognizes these problems. Um, he, he notices the trend going down. Um, I'm curious if he's going to do anything like, this is what we tried to do in the past. It hasn't worked because the numbers are still going down. You know, so obviously we have the wrong idea of what's going on. How do we, what do we change to, about ourselves to try to get our message across so that the numbers start going up again? That is not Ken Ham's MO. Ken Ham's MO is is he is right and everybody else is wrong. And if something is not going right, it's because those other people are not doing it his way. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. very much an old-time religion uh, kind of guy. And uh, the way to get those old-time good results is to go back to old-time religion. Um, but I, I want to get a little bit further in here because I, I want to at least get in view his idea of how things should be. Which wish much of the church understood that change. The culture has changed. You know, the culture has changed since the Billy Graham days, back then in the 1950s and 60s. How has it changed? Because, Internet. you know, the Bible tells us to go into a world and preach yes. the gospel, to proclaim the gospel. Isn't that what he was doing back then in, in the 50s and 60s? But what if we were to go out and give the same basic message today? It doesn't seem to have the same response. So uh, just uh, very brief here. I did a uh, Billy Graham, uh, I want to say last year, uh, a Billy Graham sermon. Uh, I liked Billy Graham as a preacher. He was one of the great preachers, I think. He was a good speaker. Um, he was so out of touch. It, doing a Billy Graham sermon today is so is so out of touch. Uh, I felt kind of embarrassed for him, and there it's not like there were a bunch of Christians coming out of the woodwork saying, "Yeah, preach it." No, he's really out of touch. <laughs> he's he says things out loud that Christians only say quietly today, if they even agree with. And so, uh, it's it's interesting that Ken Ham is hearkening back to uh, Billy Graham, because if you just listen to some of the old Billy Graham sermons today, you will recognize, even if you're a Christian, how far out of touch Billy Graham is. You have to be a really staunchly uh, conservative, fundy Christian to connect with Billy Graham. Yeah, his own generation. But I think we need to ask ourselves a question. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? Well, to understand that, we need to start with Genesis 1 to 11. And as I said in the first presentation I gave, I communicate to people by thinking about building a house, where you have to start from the foundation to build the walls and then build the roof. And I believe we should be thinking in terms of, as we look at people, 
Do they have the foundation? Do they have the walls? Do they have the roof? Where do, where do I start? And I believe we should always really start at the foundation. I think that's been a problem that we haven't in many ways. I have a radical idea for revolution, right? We need to tell the media, Ken Ham wants to start a revolution. Imagine how that could be taken out of context. Here's my radical right, idea for revolution. This is going to blow you off your seats. You will have never thought of this idea. How about we start sharing the way the gospel? Uh, how about we start sharing the gospel the way that God does it in the Bible by starting at the beginning? What a concept! Who would have ever thought of that idea? Who would have ever thought of building a house starting with the foundation? You start with the foundation. We know that God created. We know that sin and death entered the world. We see there the promise of the Savior. And then as we read through the rest of Scripture, uh, the promise fulfilled, the virgin birth, the, the, the crucifixion, the resurrection. All of that is the gospel. Okay, so just uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Ken Ham's uh, thing is Answers in Genesis. Uh, and so he, he puts a way higher emphasis on Genesis in the first 11 chapters of Genesis than even most uh, apologists would today. So if, if that throws anyone, that's, that's where that's coming from. That's so Not embarrassing. Just I uh, just got that. I think yeah. in many ways we're guilty of only teaching part of the gospel. All of it's the gospel. It's the same when you teach doctrines, whether it's marriage or whatever it is. A lot of times I think we've been guilty of just trying to impose the structure on people, but increasingly they don't even have the foundation. And that foundation starts in Genesis. In fact, I put together a slide that really, to me, that's the whole message of the Bible in, in one slide. That's the pyramid. God made time. everything. He, he created everything. He created it's the first two people, Adam and Eve. Adam rebelled against God. He took that that fruit. God said, you will surely die. Death as a result of sin. Your bodies die. But he so as he's going through this, the other thing that I wanted to note here, uh, just briefly, is it's not just age of the earth. He takes the entire creation story, literally, walking, talking, snake, the whole, uh, whole, whole deal. Uh, so in case anyone was wondering, yes, he is a, he's a complete literalist. Uh, he Dinosaurs is the... died in the flood. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> so I'm, I'm probably going to regret saying this, but in amongst the other videos that he's got that link from this video is there's one that he's responding to Alex O'Connor responding to him, and he spends a bit of time talking about the snake and sorry the serpent because it, the Bible doesn't say that the serpent is a snake. It could be something very different. So see the equivocation and the bouncing that he does around that is quite amusing to watch. Yeah. I've just done a part three, haven't I? Yeah, I think so. And, I, and furthermore, I think that you've uh, volunteered. You've volunteered. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but yeah, just uh, just note, he's he's a complete literalist. He's he's the kind of guy that uh, picks up a comic book and thinks he's looking at history. He promised a savior, but he promised someone would come to crush the head of the serpent. Then there was the flood of Noah's day. That's where we find fossils all over the earth. It's a picture of Jesus. One door, have to go through a door to be saved. After the flood, we have the event of the Tower of Babel. God gives different languages, forming different oh. people groups. They're all one race. God's son steps into history to be a member of the one human race, Adam's race, to die on a cross. Death was penalty for sin. Raised from the dead, conquers death, and for, offers a free gift of salvation for those who... So, okay, I, I'm sorry. We don't have time for this. Um, so Jesus uh, 
comes in to history to join the one race, one human race. Not true. He came to join the Jewish line of uh, human history. That is not the same thing as, uh, you know, being a representative for all humans. I am sorry. And uh, I understand that without going through a lot more stuff, which I have done in other places, that this is just going to fall flat. And even skeptics are going to say, what are you talking about? No, I know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, so well, Jesus was very intentionally Jewish, very intentionally not like the majority of the people who would have been in the world uh, at the time. And I just, uh, I, I feel like, you know, that's glossed over uh, because you can't, you can't give the Jesus story. If you're going to talk about it from Genesis, the way that um, Ham is doing, you can't get to the Jesus part and skip over the Jewishness part. I'm worried about uh, you there a little bit, David, because you weren't able to skip over that part, but you skipped over the part where the dinosaur bones and the ziggurat that he's calling the Tower of Babel are older than what he says the earth is. Okay, look, uh, <laughs> <laughs> nobody cares about that stuff. <laughs> it's it's all about theology. What? <laughs> <laughs> Have, have we met? <laughs> their faith and trust in him. When their bodies die, they go to be with the Lord for eternity. One day he's going to come back on a new heavens and a new earth. There it is, Genesis to Revelation, the message of the Bible. You know, when I ask a lot of people, what do you understand is the gospel? A lot of times I hear them say, oh, well, it's the good news that Jesus died on a cross and so on. And I want to challenge them that how can you understand the good news without understanding the bad news in Genesis? Like there are people that say to me, look, we just need to go out and get people saved. I've got news for you. They don't even know they're lost. Increasingly, they don't know they're lost. And so when I'm presenting the gospel, I want to build the house. You start from the foundation. God created, sin entered, death is a result of sin. That's the foundational knowledge. That's why God's son stepped into history to be the God-man, to die on a cross, be raised from the dead, because death is an enemy. To overcome death, that's the power of the gospel. And one day there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth to come, the hope of the gospel. But a lot of times we concentrate on preaching the power and the hope. We've had generations now come through an education system and where they've been told that foundation is wrong, and even though the older generations to a degree understood that foundation somewhat, uh, because we've concentrated on, if you like, the walls and the roof and not the foundation, and now we end up with generations don't have the foundation, they've got a different foundation, the walls and the roof can't stand. Okay, so just about maybe 10 minutes if you have time, uh, more of this, because I want him to get into his thesis, which, uh, which he will, and I will cut it off at the point where he has kind of laid out his thesis and it just starts to get interesting. Everyone will just have to wait for part two. <laughs> <laughs> 1 Corinthians one twenty three says, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, but to the Greeks foolishness. Note the difference. To the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness. And what I want to do is this. I want to do a comparison of the way the gospel was presented to the Jews and presented to the Greeks in Acts 17. And to sort of jump ahead, I want to say this. I believe our culture generations ago in the Western world, in Australia, in the Billy Graham days, our culture used to be more like the Jews. And you'll see why I say that. But it's become more like the Greeks. And here's a problem. 
I find most of our churches and our Sunday school materials and our VBS materials still approach presenting the gospel as if our culture is like the Jews, but it's not. It's much more like the Greeks. And if we don't understand that change, we're not going to be effective Mm -hmm. in reaching them. See, in Acts 2, when Peter was preaching the gospel to the Jews, his, his major emphasis concerned the, the death and resurrection. You crucified and, 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 and killed the, the Son of God. You, you crucified him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead. It was not possible to be held by it. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said, what, what shall we do? And he said, repent and so on and, and uh, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And 3,000 souls were saved. Wow, wouldn't you like to see a crusade like that in your area tomorrow? People used to see those sorts of responses in our Western world, but we don't today. Not in the same way. And why is that? Why, why did Peter give that message and thousands respond, but we don't see it in the same way? You know, there were evangelists back in the 50s and 60s where they saw those sorts of responses. Well, only 3,000 souls? That seems kind of low. Who is he speaking to? to Jews or those convinced of, very familiar with the Jewish religion. At that stage in their history, did they believe in God? Yes. Did he have to define God? No. If he said God, they heard God, one God. Did they know what sin was? Absolutely. They had the account there that we have in Genesis. Uh, they had the writings of Moses. They knew about Adam and Eve. They knew about the fall. They knew about the promise of the Savior. They, they were looking for the Messiah. They, they knew about those things. They knew that death was a penalty for sin. They understood the sacrificial system. But their stumbling block was that Jesus Christ was a Messiah. They had the foundational knowledge that they did not understand who Jesus is. Right, they were practically Christians, except for the Jesus part. This is kind of important, though. I'm not. I'm not even being uh, facetious. Um, and this is a this is a very uh, maybe one of the reasons I like this particular speech so much from him is because these were my thoughts when I was a teen. <laughs> I used to I used to say these things. Too. This was before it was easy to just record things from a video and there was no internet because uh, I'm old. But um, yeah, so th- this is very uh, crucial and uh, I just want to highlight it because, uh, you know, when we get back to it, part two, and most people who listen to this will, you know, it'll be like Netflix. They'll listen to it back to back. And so it's just, it's just good to hang a lantern on some of these things. Yeah, these people that Peter was preaching to, they were already religious. Remember, the preaching of the cross well, was a and there's stump. another thing to sort of note there is that that's a testable claim. So the, the Jews had all the foundational knowledge they needed, and they still didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah. So uh, I'm sorry, Darren, G- Darren, no, I'm sorry. Don't you know, don't you know, Darren, that the first Christians were Jews? <laughs> yeah, I, that's the point. That's the testable claim. <laughs> they so were Jews, you can't, you can't really say didn't. that Jews didn't accept Jesus because Jews were the first to accept Jesus. I'm not sure you can really say that with a straight face when only like half of a half of a half of a percent of Jews accepted. Uh, look, Jesus. this is this is the this is the rebuttal <laughs> that comes to me every time I make this point. Okay, 
Um, and so I'm just I'm just representing my Christian friends who can't be here to say this bullshit themselves. Humbling block to the Jews, <laughs> but to the Greeks, foolishness. The Jews were actually a creation-based culture who understood terms, God, sin, death. They didn't really have to be defined or explained. They understood the origin of sin, death, and so on. But their stumbling block was the message of Jesus and the resurrection. They understood the terms. You see, if you like, we could talk about the broad way and the narrow way. The world is the broad way. But the narrow way has a, a different beginning. It's a different road. And so the Jews are on the right road. They had the right beginning. They had the right history. But their stumbling block was the message of the cross. I want to suggest to you, when Billy Graham came to Australia in the late 50s and 60s, Australia was very much like the Jews, even though it's a, a pagan country. But, you know, when I was a, a little boy back at that time, did you know it was mandatory for the public school teachers, uh, for, for primary schools, which are elementary, middle schools, uh, to read through the Bible to the students during the year? That was mandatory. In other words, all those students, even if they didn't go to church, they, they, they knew about the Bible, they knew about the Creator God, they knew about Adam and Eve, they knew about sin, they knew about the flood of Noah's day, they knew those things. And so in a sense, an evangelist could come in and build the walls and the roof because the foundation's already there. Although I say we should always start with the foundation. But regardless, the foundation was in a sense there. In other words, you don't have to define the terms. You can assume they sort of understand that. And you know what? Thousands responded. By the way, if you go to Australia today and, and you, you won't get that sort of response. And the Bible's been thrown out of the schools, as it has here. We have whole generations today who don't even know what the Bible is. Okay, this is not the point for this week. Uh, come back to it next week. Um, I can tell you that the Bible has not been thrown out of a lot of schools <laughs> in, 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 uh, in the States today. Uh, so this is, this is kind of a, almost a polemic talking point. God has been kicked out of schools. Mm -hmm. You can't kick God out of schools, folks. If God is real and he's omnipresent, uh, he, you can't kick him out of school. You can't kick prayer out of school. Um, and honestly, you can't kick the Bible out of school either it's there, although uh, we have made it such that it's no longer a quote-unquote textbook. Uh, it's, it's still there in many situations. I just thought I'd point that out. I think, to the, I think there's another thing to point out real quick is that um, census data, I just looked it up, for 2023 says that only 22% of Australians are Christian, identify as Christian, which means that putting books forcing kids to read the Bible in school did absolutely nothing to help anyone become Christian. <laughs> well, I'm sure that number was much higher when Billy Graham preached. Well, it was, but if I'm remembering correctly, they actually had a tax credit if you marked Christian on your taxes. Nope, nope, mm -mm, nope, nope. Mm -mm. uh, Part two there. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. We've got we've got like three more minutes. Minute. Yeah, minutes. Yeah. But it's the whole thing about making it a legal mandate to read the Bible to to children. That's problematic in its its own way. But I'm one of those children who 
was brought up with daily Bible memory verses mm. as part of my school day. The school opened with a new verse of the day. And by the end of the term, we had read through a couple of books, a couple of chapters from one of the books, usually a New Testament book. And we would, because we memorized each verse each day, we were then challenged to memorize and recite the entirety of them all in one hit at the end of the school term. You know, that doesn't save children from uh, from becoming pagan religion or whatever polemic you want to put onto them. You know, it creates people like me. The most popularly streamed episode of Still Unbelievable for 2023 is an episode that Andrew and I did talking about how good knowledge of the Bible is one of the most potent forces for atheism. You know, it doesn't work. So, yeah, teach your children the Bible, but also teach those other things. It's not teaching the Bible that creates these kind of Christians. It's not teaching them the other things that creates this kind of Christian. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Well, to support I... that, uh, in apparently in 1901, something like 99% of Australia was Christian of one form or another. Uh, excuse me. How can you both be so wrong? Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I respect you two gentlemen, and yet... Um, I have been told many times, uh, we did a, did a show uh, a few weeks back, uh, there was a, a woman who had, was going through her deconstruction uh, story, and uh, you know she was giving various theological reasons for her deconstruction. I did uh, one with Tyler Vela, uh, where you know, it talked about uh, his theological uh, reasons for deconstruction. And yet, despite all of these videos, despite all of the things, the times that I've talked about mine, this, despite the, you know, all the times, uh, Matthew, you've talked about yours, uh, what Christians keep repeating as truth is that uh, we form, no former Christian ever deconverted because of the Bible or theology. It, it's always some, you know, emotional issue. It, it's never about the Bible. Wouldn't they have to actually read the Bible before they can be deconverted from the Bible? Well, right. But the like thing 98 is... 98% of Christians haven't actually read the Bible? Right. But the, the Christians that tend to show up on boards like uh, this were among the few who had read the Bible. <laughs> this, is, this is the point. And, and no matter what we say about the, the theological reasons, uh, the Christian just sticks their fingers in their ears and say, no Christian ever leaves because of theological reasons. It's always emotional reasons. Let's get these last two or three minutes in because I want you, I want you uh, get to Greek eyes. It's coming. It's coming. If you say God, they say, which God? There are many gods. The word God doesn't even mean God anymore. So you have to define the God you're talking about. It, it's very different. And it's interesting that in 2010, a secular humanist magazine said this. And you know, if you think about what Tucker Carlson said, what Yahoo News said uh, when, when Billy Graham passed away, it's a different world. mean God anymore. So you have to define the God you're talking about. It, it's very different. And it's interesting that in 2010, a secular humanist magazine said this. And you know, if you think about what Tucker Carlson said, what Yahoo News said 
when Billy Graham passed away. It's a different world now. The secular world understands this. A historic transition is occurring, barely noticed, slowly, quietly, imperceptibly. Religion, when they say religion, they really mean Christianity. It's shriveling in America, as it already has in Europe, Canada, Australia, across the developed world. Increasingly, supernatural faith belongs to the third world. The first world is entering the long-predicted secular age where science, and when they say science, well, that can mean different things, as we talked about, and knowledge dominate. In other words, the culture has changed. And the culture in America changed, well, catastrophically in recent times. And I believe this change... It goes back a long way, but I believe there was an escalation of this change Quick when question. this person became president. Go ahead. So he didn't actually refute that that quote was true. And so science and knowledge are, in that quote, were diametrically opposed to his religion. So is he saying that his religion has nothing to do with knowledge? certain kind of knowledge. It's man's knowledge and man's right. science. This is the subtle distinction which is unsaid. But yeah, the plain reading of that is science and knowledge bad, supernatural religion. Right. But this is what I was talking yeah. about earlier. Uh, he's not anti-academic uh, or anti-intellectual. He's anti a certain kind of academic and intellectual when it leads to a certain kind of result. But all the evidence we have, though, the intellectual exploration of the Bible theology that he condemned earlier in the previous video, the academic and intellectual investigation of science, knowledge, all of these things have created the societies that we've got now. They've created greater amounts of knowledge, greater volumes of knowledge at our fingertips. We don't have to memorize everything anymore. We can reach that knowledge and it's a click of a couple of Google strokes. Right, but the, the problem with that knowledge, that. right? No, well, the problem with that knowledge is that it's Greek knowledge, and not yeah. Jew knowledge. Look, we're getting there. <laughs> I, know, I know that you, you, you like me, have watched this and have much pain to unload. We're yeah. not going to get to unload it, <laughs> but we will get to introduce it. <laughs> Many people don't realize. See, I, I believe the change is, has has been happening. Generations of kids going through a public education system, 80-85% church kids go to that system, they're throwing God out, Bible out, prayer out, teaching uh, naturalism and giving the foundation man's word, not God's word. We've had generations in our churches who've been told you don't have to believe Genesis, you can believe in evolution, millions of years, watering down the teaching of the word, making the church look more entertainment oriented, and so it goes on. But then in 2006, then Senator Obama spoke at a conference called Renewals Building a Covenant for a New America Thanks, Obama. Conference. Everything what did he mean by a new America? Fault, Listen to what he said. Also, Canada. Damn Canada. Where we once were, we are no longer a Christian nation, at least not just. We are also a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation, and a Buddhist nation, and a Hindu nation, and a nation of non-believers. It was in his book, The Audacity of Hope. He said, whatever we once were, we are no longer a Christian nation. We're also a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation, a Buddhist nation, a Hindu nation, a nation of non-believers. I believe what he was saying back then, and it, it was actually seen in his actions, he was saying, this is a great thing 
We are no longer a nation that builds our thinking on God's word. Even though many in, in previous generations weren't Christian, they still had that Judeo-Christian ethic that came out of the Bible. This is another one of these Christian tropes that drives me up the wall. Um, <laughs> because no matter, you know, if you have some good in you at all, it's because you're uh, actually Christian. You, you, it's the Christian foundation. Uh, did, did you not kill someone today? Well, that's because you have the Christian foundation. Um, you know, it's yeah. so it's it's. You know what? I don't I don't have time for this crap. Uh, go ahead, uh, Darren. What, what were you going to say? <laughs> I, they always seem to forget that part of that Christian foundation was uh, uh, slavery and women not being able to vote. And... Nope, veto. No, we no longer <laughs> have the Bible as our foundation. No, now we have man's word as our foundation. And as it, it drives these people crazy, it's not just Ken Ham. This is this is modern Christians that show up on the board today, uh, and on the YouTube boards. It drives them crazy the idea that this is not simply a Christian nation, because I say it all the time. What they're after is a theocracy. That what they want is a theocracy, and they don't want just a theocracy. They want a Christian theocracy, and they don't want just a Christian theocracy. They want a conservative. Christian theocracy, and so Obama's statement that recognizes other religions that uh, celebrate gasp, other gods, has driven them fucking insane uh, over the years. And so I do believe that Ken Ham is right again in pointing to Obama as one of the key changes in culture, even though it was fairly recently, because Obama was one of the first presidents who said that out loud and and normalized it. Okay, great. Uh, the result of that, now we see all these moral issues in the culture because no longer do we just believe in one God. No, now we, we, we believe in many different things. It's interesting that April 2009 on the front cover of a Newsweek was a heading the decline and fall of Christian America. And inside there was an article called The End of Christian America and there's one particular sentence in that article that really stood out to me. It was this one. The present in this sense is less about the death of God and more about the birth of many gods. Whatever okay, I'm sorry. I'm looking at uh, the time. I know that I have a huge thing to get. I He's going to lay out his thesis. We're just not going to get to it. Uh, so we're going to cut it off right here. I'm just calling it. And uh, we will make some closing thoughts. I'm sorry. His thesis is worth it, people. You're just going to have to come back um, the next time to get uh, to it. Uh, hopefully, uh, you gentlemen can be there. Maybe we can uh, pick up Brian with a why. Maybe Andrew can pop in for uh, a few minutes. But I knew that it would come down to um uh doing a second part so we just as well do this at as he's getting ready to launch into it uh so i will just uh begin with a closing thought right now and say ken ham's understanding of the bible uh, again i actually agree with it if you if you let the literature itself speak to you there's no reason to believe that uh, people, ancient writers, had anywhere close to our understanding of the universe. The most 
slovenly, academically lazy 12th grader knows way more, has a way more accurate uh, picture uh, of the universe than anybody who wrote anything that we call the Bible uh, today. So uh, it's it's not an insult. I'm not insulting, you know, goat herders, uh, although I have in the past. That's That's not really an insult, a kind of a poisoning the well thing. These were, in many cases, some of the smartest, most erudite people of their time. But we would not reach back for their time to get anything, anything that is useful for our society today. And religion is just kind of a this one big exception. But where Ken is about to go, and I don't, I don't want to include this so much in my closing statement, so I'm going to change my thoughts a little bit. Where he's, where he's going to go, uh, though, gets a little bit scary. And I would just say, think back on, oh, the last few months of shorts that I've done, because some of that will come into play. Ken Ham is in the process of outlining uh, a culture war that really goes along the lines of religion. And I think he's right about that too. Um, Our cultural divide in this country and throughout the world isn't so much, uh, it's not about the issues, you know, sexuality, uh, marriage, um, things of that nature. It really goes back to the foundation of what you think is true, foundational truths. And we are in a culture right now that is fighting with itself, tearing itself apart with a much larger chunk of it than anybody wants to admit, saying that our foundational stories, our foundational truths are those old Bible truths. Those are the foundational truths. And the further we get away from that, the more, the closer we come to something that looks like civil war. And, and I don't think that that's too much. I, I don't think that's out of the question. And once again, I think that you'll see it more if you come back uh, next week. The consequences, though, of people just having a a fundamentally different set of foundational stories and facts is both frightening and imminent. And this is where I would love to spend a lot more time uh, on the site because we are in the middle of this right now. We're in the middle of this. Even as we look at the situation in the Middle East, uh, Part of that story that's playing out today is seen through the lens of Bible stories, of what uh, half the world, at least half of America, believes is fundamentally true about history. That simply isn't and never was. Um, It has real-world consequences. And so I think there is a warning to be had here and we will have to wait another week to get more fully into that 
warning, but there is a reason why I wanted to go through this set of videos and we are beginning to see some of why that is beyond simply the ridiculousness of young earth creationism. Um, Darren. Um, I don't know. Ken Ham is sort of an interesting person. He has a fairly large presence online and in the homeschool area, but beyond that, I don't think he has a lot of influence. Um, but it's sort of it's sort of an interesting example of just sort of divergent psychology, because he's sort of started with this presupposition that is completely and totally I mean so um, opposite of what the actual evidence is telling us that he has to make up his own science he has to claim that science is what it, what it isn't he has to uh, create his own geology about how the the uh, world works uh he has to create his own history his own basically he has to do all of the science recreate all of the sciences so that it, they uh so that he can get his story to match what we see in reality and people aren't stupid they see that um there's a reason why homeschoolers have you know, parents have their children homeschooled with a lot of time Ken Ham material. And then as soon as the children go to um, an actual college, they end up dumping their religion because they re recognize that all the claims made by Ken Ham don't actually hold up to what we know to be true about the world. And no matter what his strategy is for trying to fix or change uh, the nation to be a Christian nation, it's going to fail because all of the testable claims he's making, people can easily find out is actually true or actually false. So if all of the testable claims are false, then why would anyone pay attention to his untestable claims? All right. So as you know, I do not uh, interrupt closing arguments. That is a time when a person can say anything. And I just have to bite my lip and I do not, I do not, uh, you know, prosecute these uh, arguments. I do not rebut. I am going to break my rule. Uh, <laughs> but you're going to. I'm, I'm going to, <laughs> yes. Uh, look, I don't make the rules. I, actually, I do. <laughs> but look, I just, it, I just want to say as a reminder, because I don't want to, uh, I don't want to argue that today. I want to argue it next time. <laughs> um, just as a reminder, uh, Ken Ham is not the issue. Ken Ham is an avatar. Uh, and I think it's a mistake to look at Ken Ham as a singular individual saying words. He's not a singular individual saying words. He's an avatar for a much larger group of people who believe things. Uh, and so if uh, you don't like Ken Ham as an avatar, uh, Think of whatever the logo is of the Southern Baptist churches in America. Yeah, but and, uh, and what, then and then understand percentage of people that believe the same way he does. Uh, just look at just look at the Republicans in in Congress right now. 
Michael Johnson. Uh, look up Michael Johnson, Johnson and break out in the cold sweats. Uh, if, if, if you want to know Michael Johnson, it, we could just as easily be talking about him versus Ken Ham. Michael Johnson may be crazier, uh, when it, when it comes to that, the much of our, uh, political force, most of half of our political force is who Ken Ham represents. Right. But are you, okay. So you're talking more along the lines of less the creation and part of it, more of the, um, turning America into a theocracy part. Yes. But which is different than what I was referring to. Uh, yeah. And, and just to be clear, a lot of them believe in the creationist part too. All right. They, but people have gotten smarter about not saying certain things out loud you know, they'll say in church things that they won't say in front of the camera. And uh, if you if you can stand the torture, watch a little bit of Fox News, especially uh, at night, and uh, listen to what uh, these same people say when they think they're only talking to their people because they forget that we can hear them. Uh, Ken, Ken Ham is a very accurate avatar of something much hairier and scarier than just Ken Ham. Um, well, Trump was too, though. Well, uh, yes, but Trump is a part of that Ken Ham avatar, uh, and I and I think that once again, if you chase down Ken Ham, and and what he's saying and where he's going, uh, I think that uh, it will prove out to be that our our big divide is that we're calling a cultural divide is really a religious divide. And Ken Ham represents it very accurately, I believe. But with that, look, obviously, Darren, you've got to be on the next show. Uh, Matt, uh, please close out this one uh, with a bit of sanity and gentlemanliness and class. Uh, I that... don't know. I fear a bit of fear-mongering coming on because the angle I was going to take was just what you've been hinting at. It's all well and good mocking Ken Ham for his ridiculous anti-scientific views when it comes to creationism and taking Genesis seriously and the talking donkey and how languages could not possibly have all come in a single singular instance uh, from God getting cross about a tower that was quite a lot shorter than most of the buildings we see around the world today. It's very easy to mock that, but we shouldn't forget those last few seconds that we've just heard here. The foundation towards this is the foundation of that disgusting thing that we haven't yet mentioned, Christian nationalism, because that is what's coming. That is the foundation that he's building here. And we should be concerned about that. He is given strength and giving power to that obnoxious part of particularly American Christendom and society. And it will spread elsewhere. We're seeing horrific nationalistic tendencies here in the UK, which are not based on Ken Ham's type of religion. They're just based from poorly educated, poorly nuanced people who only want to see white skins in their little village. And it is spread like that. And I have a fear that this kind of rhetoric will spread out of its religious base and into more secular worlds because People don't want new things. People don't want different colored skins. People don't want to hear different languages. And it's horrid and it's poisonous. Okay, thank thank you for taking us from the brink. Uh, 
Um, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but that was where I went to. That is where these last 30 seconds have pushed me. Right. So if you think the last 30 seconds are scary, just wait until you hear the next 30 minutes. Uh, I can't say when it's coming. I don't know when I'll get these cast of characters back. I might but... not be there. <laughs> so uh, we will we will see what we can do. It might be a different cast of characters. If you want to be a part of the cast of characters, whether Christian or not, you are welcome to do so. Skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. Log in your Discuss account, Discuss Away. Leave a comment anywhere on the board. I will see it. It'll come to my inbox. Or you can just tag me directly into my inbox, skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. You can find Darren probably whiling away the hours gaming. Um, where can we, where can you find you, um, uh, Matt? Presumably not gaming. Well, I'm trying to finish GTA 5 at the moment, actually, but there we go. That's a completely different episode. Reasonpress at gmail.com for all the hate mail that you're too afraid to send to David or still unbelievable in your favorite podcast catcher. All right. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, be able to get Andrew for a little bit. If you wonder where Andrew is these days, he's busy. He's he's, busy. he's, he's real busy. Uh, life, life changing, busy stuff. So, uh, you know, send your atheist prayers, uh, Andrew's way, <laughs> which mostly amounts to doing nothing, watching football. Uh, so uh, with that in mind, uh, we will see you next time. And in the meantime, I'm out. <laughs>